Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Michael R. Jackson. He's the writer-composer behind A Strange Loop, which last month became one of only a very few musicals to ever win the Pulitzer Prize. That was after Strange Loop became a buzzy off-Broadway hit in its world premiere at Playwrights Horizons last year, and has since gone on to win a number of awards, including the New York Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Musical. It's a show we'll all be seeing again, even if the pandemic has hit pause on a DC production that was aiming for Broadway. And in the meantime, Jackson has other work taking the spotlight, including Teeth, a musical he co-wrote based on the 2007 horror film, and getting a digital showcase from the New York Theatre Barn June 10th. Jackson's in the virtual studio with me to tell us about what he's working on these days, how he's celebrated his big wins, and why he's only just begun to embrace being called a composer. Hey, Michael. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Gordon. Yeah. So what do you do when you found out you've won the Pulitzer Prize at a time where you can't celebrate with your friends and you basically can't leave the apartment? How did you celebrate? Um, the only thing I could do to celebrate was go for a walk. And I listened to... That's a big deal these days. It is. I went for a walk and I was, I'd was i listened to Luther Vandross, um, Never Too Much, and Shaka Khan's Through the Fire. <laughs> what, why those songs in particular? Yes, I don't know. And well, some other Shaka Khan songs as well. But like there was something about the two of their voices that felt like a celebration to me. So Luther Vandross and Shaka Khan helped Excellent. me celebrate on my walk through Washington Heights in New York. <laughs> and... The Pulitzer is, of course, a great big prize, and it's one of several that A Strange Loop has been winning uh, this spring, the, all the award season. Year, uh, Strange Loop was, you know, ran last summer, but as part of the award season um, now, such as it is. Um, what, that's a lot of attention. How, is that uh, exciting for you? Does it scare you at all? What's, what's it, how do you take it all in? Um, it's really, I mean, it's been really nice, I have to say, like, you know, I've, said this in many interviews at this point, but like, I feel like I've been Sam Beckett from that TV show Quantum Leap. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I keep right. transporting back and forth through all these different, you know, realities of like COVID-19 
hellscape world on fire. And then, oh my God, you won like a Drama Critics Circle Award. COVID-19, <laughs> City on Fire. Oh my God, <laughs> here's a Pulitzer. You know, like, and so like, I'm just constantly like going back and forth. It's like very schizophrenic and, and trippy. And, but it's also like, it it's, it's very affirming and, um, and it makes me feel good. Like, and, and I, and, and especially because so many people in the theater community have sort of, they feel like they've won by virtue of the fact that a strange loop won, which is because it's not the, the piece that you normally think of as winning a Pulitzer, I guess. And like, and me watching people celebrate that in this sort of, in this time mm. of great uncertainty, it makes me feel like warm and, and hopeful and, and just good. So it's been a really great experience so far. Yeah. I mean, it's also been utterly insane because <laughs> like my emails are like exploding every day and like text messages and like I just there's just a lot there's now a lot to do in the aftermath of the Pulitzer. Uh, can you give me some examples? I mean, just like people have reached out to me about wanting to work on projects. I'm recording quite a lot of podcasts. Yes, yes, I'm <laughs> contributing to this. I apologize. No, it's no, it's good. It like, gets me. It like. I mean, prior to all of this, I was just sitting, you know, in my bed watching Designing Women every day. Right. Um, so, like, it's good. Like, it gets me up. It, like, keep, it, get, it reminds me of my purpose. Right. And so I'm, like, writing and getting ready for various little projects and things like that. So yeah. it's, it, it's, been, it's been great, but crazy. <laughs> and uh, Strange Loop takes its title from a Liz Fair song, and you've cited Liz Fair as an influence on the show well, and on it yourself. Takes a place in, yeah. How? Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't interrupt. I, it takes its place. It comes from two places. Liz Fair's mm. "Strange Loop" is one, and Douglas Hofstadter's "I Am a Strange Loop" is the other. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and has has Liz Fair seen the show? And does she? Do you know yet? She has not seen the show because when original when it was first going around, she had just finished a tour. I because mm. I had seen her in concert like a couple of months before mm. and cause she did celebrate Brooklyn this past summer. Right. In the and park. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then she went and she lives in California mm. and, and like, and she like got caught wind of the show and she was aware of it and she knew about me a little bit. Um, but like, I was like, there's no way she's going to like fly all the way back from California. And she just left here mm. to come see an off Broadway musical. So she hasn't seen it, but she's aware of it. She's like tweeted in support of it. I got yeah. to meet her because then she did another tour, uh, or uh, in New York, in New Jersey, uh, like a couple months ago, and I got to go backstage and meet her and talk to her, and so it was really wonderful. So like he's he's been a supporter, but she hasn't seen the show yet. So hopefully in another in the new world, um, maybe the show will get done in California and she can see it, or maybe it'll have another life in New York and she can come and see it. But she hasn't seen it yet. Right. And uh, another uh, person whose work comes up in the show pretty frequently is Tyler Perry, who's maybe, <laughs> maybe can we say he's read for filth in the in the show? But uh, well, does he, go ahead. Well, it's interesting because Tyler Perry called me last week. <laughs> that was my question. What has he heard or he seen? Has, he has not seen the show. Mm. He's heard about it. And now he has the cast album. Right. which he purchased after talking to me. Um, 
I guess you could say he's read for filth in the show, but what is also true is that the character who is reading him for filth also reads himself for filth. Yeah. Through Tyler Perry. So, like, there's it's a complicated critique of Tyler Perry's work, but also of, like, sort of larger issues around that. Right, right, yeah. Um, and not many musicals win the Pulitzer, which means A Strange Loop is one of a pretty small group of shows. We're talking yeah, it's like... Yeah, it's just been 10, ten It's 10, shows. right? Yeah, yeah, so it's like Hamilton and Rent and Sunday in the Park. And, and a, a chorus line. line. I like to keep line. bringing that up just because that just blows my mind that I get to be near anything as exquisite and perfect as a chorus line. That was exactly my question, was what what of those works is particularly meaningful to you? Why is A Chorus Line that show for um, you? A Chorus Line, I have like this interesting relationship with because it was a show that I actually didn't know like mm. very well as a kid or anything. And I'd always heard about it, but I think like the most I knew about it was like one singular sensation. Sure. And I think they used it in like a popcorn commercial. So like that was like my relationship to it. And then like when I was in after college, I was working a lot of temp jobs and I remember going to, uh, the Virgin Megastore here in New York, may she rest in peace. Exactly. And uh, and there was like in the bargain bin was like the original Broadway cast album of A Chorus Line. I was like, oh yeah, I've always heard about the show and I'm a student and I'm a musical theater, you know, MFA. I should know more about the show. And we studied a little bit in school, but I didn't know the show. And I like, let me buy this cast album. I listened to it. But then I bought it and I like forgot about it. I didn't listen to it. So then I was working this temp job at this horrible insurance company during data entry one day. And I was like, I need some new music to listen to while I'm doing this really boring work. And I said, oh, why don't I listen to a chorus line? And so I got my then disc man, you know, because I still was doing CDs at that time. Sure. And, I, and I'm doing my data entry while listening to the, the original Broadway cast album of the chorus line. And from the moment the music started, like my body just like chills went down like the back of my spine. And, and then it got to that song, Mother, oh, Mother. Like, and I just started uncontrollably weeping at my desk while doing data entry. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just like the most beautiful and emotional and just touching and like kind of razzy jazzy 70s, you know, uh, what a, we sound like, what we, we sound like actual human beings and not like mm. auto tuned. Like, just everything about it just like plugged it, like, just touched me to like the depths of the bottom of my soul, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, and I just, and then it turned out that weekend was the closing weekend of the revival of a chorus line. So I like mm. rushed and bought a ticket and I like went and saw like the very last performance of a chorus line on Broadway, the revival. And so it's just a show that I just, I love, I come back to it so often. And it's one of the touchstones for A Strange Loop in terms of like just the structure of it. Um, And so Mm. I, and there's things, there's things in A Strange Loop that don't necessarily reference, of course, not in a direct way, but like, I like when I wrote the opening number for A Strange Loop, it was, it was trying to sort of be my, version of something like uh uh god i hope i get it like there were aspects of like just how i approached it the feeling i wanted it the song to have that came from like me listening to you know that cast album yeah what are some other musical influences that you're drawing on in strange loop uh company is Mm -hmm. definitely one uh passing strange is another 
Um, the bubbly black girl sheds her chameleon skin by Kirsten Childs is another. Those are yeah. those are those four are like my big big touchstones. And in general, for your work, who else are you, do you consider your sort of musical theater uh, kind of influences? Um, William Finn, Bill Finn, for yep. sure. He was my teacher, and he's someone who I sort of uh, I really, t- in terms of writing from the south and writing very personal things like he's someone who I really look to um Sondheim is is someone whose work I like deeply deeply respect just because he's a song he's a composer who writes like a book writer and that's something that I've always tried to sort of model my approach after even though I don't think our our music is not the same and or anything but I I love his music and I love his lyric writing and I just love the way he he's so in touch with his own point of view which is something that I've also like worked on over the years, like being really in touch with my own point of view through my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, and then there's just, there's so many other people like, you know, I'd love I mean, people, people who I just love there. I, I could go on and on. Have you always been a composer and has music always been a part of how you imagine yourself as a storyteller? So yes and no. I, I, it took me a long time to embrace the term composer because I don't have any formal composition training Mm. and I grew up, I learned how to play piano by ear. Initially I took a little bit of classical piano, but like I never particularly excelled at it. I'm not a great player. I can play what I can play. I have a really good ear. I have perfect pitch. So those sorts of things help me. And I'm a very musically inclined person. I grew up singing in choirs. Um, I can read music a little bit. Um, and so, but like, and I used to try to, I was like a big, so Liz Thayer is like a big influence on, on A Strange Loop right. and some of my writing, but Tori Amos is like my, my, my original origin story. Like okay. she, she's someone who, whose work I encountered as a teenager and I wanted to be her. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to write like her and I, I, and I used to try to copy writing songs like her as a teenager, but I didn't know how to write lyrics, but musically a lot of the gestures that if you listen to my music, there, there's, there are certain gestures that are overlap with her in lots of ways. And so all of that sort of boiled into, you know, me not knowing how to write lyrics and therefore not being able to write a song as a high schooler and then going to college and going to playwriting school and then going to grad school for musical theater writing as a book writer and who was learning how to write lyrics. And I learned how to write lyrics. And then once I, got a handle of that form, it gave the musical impulses that had been with me since I was a little kid somewhere to go. And so from there, I began writing my own music, even though for my thesis project, I was paired with a composer. Hmm. And so, but even then, I was just like, I'm just a songwriter. I'm not a composer. To me, composers were just, were fancier and more accomplished and more trained and all of those things. But the more I kept doing it and doing it and putting my work up and then starting to integrate that with, you know, book writing, it just, I, I had to sort of, I, I learned to embrace the, the title of composer. Right. And you're a performer as well, or do you still think of yourself as a performer? You have. So it's, so it's interesting because like my initial, as a kid, I did a lot of child acting. And then I like quit the business when I was 13 because I thought I was too ugly to ever be a movie star. And, um, and so I just I I just was thought of myself as a writer. And but then once I started, you know, 
putting songs up in concerts and everything years and years later, the thing I noticed was like, I would sometimes give my songs to other people to sing and like they were fine, but they just, they couldn't quite get in the pocket of what I was writing from like such a personal place because they would often, some of them would treat what I had given them as though it was like a musical theater a, a capital M, capital T musical theater song. And that just wasn't exactly what I was writing. And so I was like, I learned that I had to do it to sort of, for some of what I was writing to, to sort of really communicate the style, you know, in a clear way. And it forced me to have to become comfortable presenting my own work over years. And so I'm now at the point where like, I, I always do it if I need to, you know, I mean, I, I obviously collaborate with actors I never, it's one, I mean, I never want to be in any musical that I ever write. Mm. Um, but like when I do like a concert or things, like I always am, I, 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 I'm happy to like get up there and do it myself. And also, frankly, it's just easier because it's less people to wrangle. Right, right. Yeah. And it can be easy to watch A Strange Loop and think, oh, it's an entirely autobiographical piece about, uh, you know, you and your life. But that's not entirely correct. For one thing, you could have been in the show if it was really about you, right? Um, yeah, I mean, tell I'm us sorry, about what the relationship is of the show to autobiography and how you think of it. So if the only kind of, uh, I think of it as emotionally autobiographical mm-hmm. and I call it self-referential instead because mm-hmm. like while I did draw on personal experience to write it, I also, it's also something that is made, it's constructed and it's a mix of fact and fiction. So like, for example, you know, I don't know how well you know the show, but like yeah. I did work as an usher at a Broadway musical. Right. I did, you know, go to NYU for grad, for musical theater writing and playwriting. Right. I did go meet like a horrible like white man in Inwood, but like, <laughs> uh, but like, th- 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 what's important about all of that are just the way it felt, how it seemed to me as a younger person. I'm mm-hmm. thirty eight. I'm thirty. No, I'm not thirty eight. I'm thirty nine. <laughs> sure. I know. I'm like making myself younger already. Yeah. Usher is twenty six. So, like, the perspectives in the show are from, like, a younger person who is also reflecting on himself as a younger person and in the present. So, like, because it contains so many, such such a multiplicity of of perspectives and and feelings, and frankly, feelings of self-hatred, it's not, I like, I can't call it autobiographical because, to me, autobiography connotes something that has a really one-to-one representation Mm. and it just isn't that like there's there's things i made up and there's things that are like quote-unquote true yeah has working on the musical or did working on the musical or did seeing it on stage help you work through some of your own emotions that inspired or were uh part of an echo or were echoed on stage well, honestly, I if to the extent to which I was working through any emotions in my own life, that work had already been done because I couldn't have written the piece unless I had some perspective on it. And that was, I think, part of the reason why it took me as long as it did to write it, because I technically started writing A Strange Loop when I was 21. I was, I wow. start, it started off as a monologue, a thinly veiled personal monologue that I wrote my senior year of of college called why I can't get work because I was about to graduate from NYU with a playwriting degree and like lots of student loan debt. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. 
And so I wrote this thinly veiled personal monologue about this young black gay man walking around New York, wondering why life was so terrible. And also reflecting a little bit on like September 11th, because it was like right in the aftermath of that. And like in that, and like that piece then sort of began to evolve over the years as I began to write music and then try to put the music into that monologue. And so it went from the Bush era to like the next Bush era to the Obama era to then being produced in the Trump era to yeah. both terms of Obama to then being produced in the Trump era. So like, so like it, it, it just is a piece that just has like a lot of timelines and feelings in it. And uh, that that's so like, that's something that like I always also like to try to remind people. Yeah. I'll have more with Michael right after the break. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now, here's more with the writer-composer, Michael R. Jackson. Uh, you mentioned that the uh, you're enjoying seeing uh, the community that sort of rallied around the show celebrate yeah. with you. And, uh, you know, the show has a lot of fans in the theater community and I think a lot of us were very excited to hear that the show was planning to you know, have a run at uh, Woolly Mammoth in D.C. and ahead mm-hmm. of a potential Broadway run. Um, what's the status of that now that everything is sort of paused? Um, well, it just has. It was originally scheduled to go up in the fall of right. this year, but it just was announced that we're now looking toward a summer run of next year. Um, and, you know, I have a really amazing um, commercial producer behind the piece, Barbara Whitman, yeah. who, you know, has like a really strong track record of producing shows for Broadway. And so like our hopes are that, you know, we, we will be able to make that happen once we're unpaused. So, yeah. I mean, things are still very much, we're optimistic for when that happens. Is Strange Loop finished? Are you done working on it? I'm not. I mean, I'm not making any major, major changes. I'm not like writing any new songs or anything like that. But like, we didn't, I didn't get to hit everything that I wanted to do during previews um, when I was running off Broadway. Uh, Mm. And so there's some things that I just, I want to tighten up and clarify. Again, not major things, but like just a couple things that I think are, are important for whatever the next step will be. Yeah. Assuming the show does uh, reach Broadway at some point, what do you feel like it will mean to you to see it on Broadway in particular? I almost feel like it'll be like I have I will have secreted it, <laughs> like uh-huh. like I like I <laughs> you know what I mean because yeah, like, like the book's the secret, right? Yes. Well, because like it, because literally the opening number says "big black and queer ass American Broadway show," right? And so like I just I I like dream about the day when like it opens at, you know, whatever Broadway theater will have us. Mm. And the first time we get to hear the cast sing big black and queer ass American Broadway show 
on a Broadway stage. That will be a strange loop. The show contains <laughs> so many strange loops within it already. And that, it feels like that would be like the final one. Right. Is there anything that makes you particularly... Unless, no, that would be the final one. Then the, that would be the, the penultimate one. The mm. next one would be is when both Tyler Perry and Liz Thayer and Scott Rudin are all <laughs> seated in the, in the same audience together. Yes, yes. Scott Rudin also gets mentioned. That's correct. Right. Yes. <laughs> He's also aware of the show and he really likes it. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything that makes you trepidatious or hesitant or wary about the idea of the show going to Broadway and, you know, a sort of um, more stereotypical Broadway audience? Scene? Well, I guess like it's, Nate, that's kind of another strange loop too, because mm. I, when I was in the midst, somewhere in the middle of when I was writing it, somewhere between 2001 and 2019, when I was ushering in at um, The Lion King and Mary Poppins, mm. I... I saw that was the first time that I saw like Broadway tourists up close and personal. Right. And then I did a stint as a flyer. I flyered for Rock of Ages for a horrible summer. Oh, yeah. And like, so I was there on that accursed triangle <laughs> in this hot summer heat with the Chicago girls and uh-huh. like these crazy scalpers being like, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, you know? And like, and I saw Broadway tourists up close who were like, just wanted it was like they just wanted many of them it was like they didn't care what it was as long as just like a soda it was that's what it felt like Uh and so and i thought in the midst of all of that the ushering and the flyering and just that time squareness of it all i was like oh i don't do this Mm. and so therefore no one will ever want to see my big black and queer ass american broadway show like it's not commercial. And so I was like, and oh, well, I'm just going to keep writing it because there's no stakes. No one will ever do it. So right. I'll just, I'll just write it and like, and make it whatever the fuck I want to make it. Mm-hmm. And so, but then lo and behold, the culture sort of shifts and suddenly people like are going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so like my, if, if I have any trepidations or fears, it's, it's somewhat similar to what I felt before was that, oh, it won't make money. Like that people just won't come and see it because it's not quote unquote commercial enough. And yet the culture, especially with conferring the Pulitzer on it, has sort of given it a cultural stamp of approval in mm-hmm. some ways, at least one part of the culture, I guess. And and the thing that was has always been important to me about A Strange Loop is that it had both it be as my mission statement is to make work that is as challenging as it is entertaining. Mm. And so the thing I all have always wanted for it and tried to make happen. And I think we were successful at this at Playwrights Horizons um, was making it something that we, we invited the audience to give a shit that like we were putting something that was both, you know, really, really entertaining, but really thought provoking and makes you feel. And I just don't see why musicals can't all be like that you know that like that it it doesn't have to be stupid to be a good time um and so my hope is that if we are able to get to broadway that even though it's a piece that is very challenging in a lot of ways it's also like extremely pleasurable and that that pleasure is part of the broadway experience certainly the broadway shows that i have loved um so I don't know. So my trepidation is just that like maybe my calculation will be wrong and that people only want to see musicals that are escapist and don't have like a deep thinking or deep feeling behind them. 
Right. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll find out. And if yeah, they we're, don't... we're going to find out. Um, it, during this time of pause, some of your other work is starting to show up online. Like you've got mm-hmm. coming up uh, pretty soon a showcase of a musical you're working on called Teeth Online. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, so Teeth is a piece that I'm working on with my collaborator, Anna K. Jacobs. Um, we're, we're sharing book, and she's the composer, and I'm the lyricist. Mm-hmm. And it's adapted from the uh, 2007 indie horror comedy film Teeth, of the same name, mm-hmm. uh, by Mitchell Lichtenstein. And uh, it's about a teenage, evangelical Christian teenage girl who discovers she has teeth in her vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a sort of a, a real rip roaring romp of a show, but also with sort of like deeper messages about female agency in it. And, um, and so we're, we're doing like a little excerpt of it on, uh, a show that my friend Joe Barros is hosting. Yeah. And w- is there a sort of plan or a timeline for that show for when we might possibly see it? Um, we're still in development and, and sort of looking for people who might be interested. So we're just sort of staying tuned for that. Yeah. And I know you have another show called, I believe, White Girl in Danger. Do I have that right? That's right. And yes. t- tell me about that. So I'm working on White Girl in Danger with the Vineyard Theater mm. and, development, and Liliana Blaine Cruz yeah, is my director. director. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a show that is inspired by slash set in the world of lifetime original movies from like the nineties. So right. movies like she cried, no, she fought alone, mother Nest sleep with danger sort of. And also, but also like classic soap operas, like all my children, one life to live, etc. cetera. Right. Um, and it's set, it's a kind of a really wacky piece that's set in, it's sort of in the world of one of those uh, universes called, and it's a universe called, all white and in all white <laughs> there are so all white like pine valley or land fair land view or whatever and in all white there are like these all white stories going on that are like you know be like just white women in all kinds of trouble you know and their boyfriends and mothers and all these sorts of things and then there's also a group of people called the black ground and the black ground are black characters who are just there to support they're sort of all white storyline lives and then one of the background is this girl named Keisha who decides she's got what it takes to be the protagonist of her own all white story so she sort of begs the writer of the universe to please make her a protagonist and he sort of strikes her with lightning and then her hair slowly begins to turn blonde over the course of the show as she sort of usurps storylines from her three main rivals Megan, Megan, and Megan (laughs) um who are the three sort of like have the hottest white all white storylines of all time so like megan has uh she's has an eating disorder and like and she's always has to get an a on everything or her mom's gonna kill her megan has is like is like a lonely bad girl whose mother is very glamorous globetrotting judith who ignores her and 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 so she's and therefore she like gets into drugs and alcohol and boys Mm -hmm. and then megan has like an abusive boyfriend named uh, uh, Zach Paul Gossler, who, you know, you think is the killer <laughs> because the killer, meanwhile, the, there's a killer who's killing all these all white girls and women throughout the town. And so like, there's a whole mystery element of like, who's the killer. And, and once Keisha sort of enters the mix and like her hair starts turning blonde and she starts becoming the center of the story, chaos ensues because 
there's this black round girl sort of at the center of this all white story and the universe kind of reacts to that. So it's a very wild, crazy, meta-theatrical piece that sort of comes from... So prior to my getting into musical theater, I moved to New York to go to NYU because I thought I was going to be a soap opera writer. My dream was to be the head writer of One Life to Live. Was and that that's your like show? What, that was, I mean, I had many shows, but that was <laughs> the one I wanted to, to write for. And so that I did, like, I interned at All My Children. I interned at ABC Daytime. Oh, wow. I did a youth marketing consulting job where I got to watch soaps for ABC and tell them what I thought. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, I was, before I got into grad school, I had um, interviewed to be uh, an executive assistant at CBS Daytime. Like, I was like, on, that was the track I was on. And then I just happened to get in. I didn't get that job. And I got into grad school for musical theater writing. And then my life went into this different direction. But this show, White Girl in Danger, sort of is my um, attempt to scratch that itch, but also to talk about issues of, quote unquote, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and representation on stage, and sort of some feelings I've been having as that conversation has been playing out in you know the world over the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, what else are you working on that we should know about? Um, I have a commission at LCT3 for a piece called Accounts Payable. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a, uh, well, it's actually sort of in flux a little bit right now because the world has sort of exceeded where the piece was. Yeah. It was set in a dystopian America. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and it still will be, but it's like basically it's an office comedy set in the future um, at this ad agency in the finance department where all these people are like jockeying for like raises and promotions. But meanwhile, like the world at America and the world is sort of like melting down outside, but they all just want like raises and promotions. So, and it's explores sort of like what capitalism, what it means to work 40 plus hours a week mm-hmm. somewhere. And like what happens when like capitalism is just like totally breaking down and like crushing and grinding everybody into dust. And which what if which of these shows are we most likely to see first? What do you feel like is gonna take off first? Uh, my if I had to place the bet, I would say White Girl in Danger, just because mm. it's further along in its development and it has like support behind it. Right. Um. So and you know, and I'm like it's just I've done much more work on it recently than the others. Although Teeth is not that far behind it, but we still are looking for support for it. Right. Yeah. How are you spending your time in lockdown these days? It does. Well, first of all, does lockdown make it easier to write and be creative or harder? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it. Do- so here's the thing. I had decided at the sort of very beginning of this that time is not of the essence mm. and that I was not going to pressure myself into any sort of productivity because I, for me, this global moment is one of looking inward and sort of like taking care of your day-to-day emotional and material needs. Mm. And so I sort of have dedicated myself mostly to that. Now, that being said, like winning the Pulitzer has forced my hand a little bit. um, And so I now have, there's certain things I have some responsibilities to take care of, but I mostly have been spending this time just sort of like, just seeing what's going to happen because we just don't know what's going to happen and like good or bad, we don't know what's going to happen. There's lots of like doomsday 
theater Twitter people who right. I can't deal with that. And yeah. but and then there's also people who are like, okay, we're gonna put on a Broadway show in September, you know, like, and I just think that like the truth is that there's gonna probably be a third option or a fourth option or like just we don't know what's gonna happen. So I I mostly have been just trying to just live in the uncertainty and like mm-hmm. embrace it and not sort of uh, speculate too much on what's going to happen. But I had done some writing and like, and as things come up, like I'll do more. Yeah. Do you have a sense of how this time is starting to affect the way you think creatively about your creative projects or the kinds of stories you're interested in telling, or is it too soon for something to know something like that? Um, well, I'm still very much focused on the pieces that I had been working on. And so I'm, I haven't like yet quite thought about ahead. I will say that like accounts payable was already sort of trying to look ahead just because of the nature of its story. And this moment will probably inform that as I can complete the draft, though it's not necessarily going to reference it specifically um because there's not a virus in that world there's like other things um that piece is going to be more about like the world is going to be more breaking down because of climate change which i think is uh still an issue now it's just that our focus is less on it because of the virus but like um i i guess like my feel like i told the los angeles times that my feeling about this moment is that it's is that the virus has exposed all the sort of pre-existing inequities in our world. And that, and now it's like we'd walked into the kitchen late at night, turned on the lights and found roaches on every surface. And this time, instead of the roaches skittering away, they just stare back at us defiantly. And so I'm interested in seeing theater sort of on quote unquote, the other side of this, that is more directly engaging with the roaches and looking at the roaches <laughs> right? because I think that those things were here with us before. And, and frankly, I think like in the theater, like I think the theater, the American theater has suffered a little bit from trying to be in opposition to, or in resistance to Trump. And in so doing has lost some sense of self inquiry and so I'm hopeful for, and I hope to be a part of looking inward and not just sort of just being a resistance playwright, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Are you interested at all in writing for the screen? I am. Um, you know, like I, when I was in, in college, I, I definitely took my screenwriting classes and I took some television writing classes. I am interested in that. I have like, I have like a film idea that I really want to write. I don't know if I'll get to it this year, but I think it's a a really interesting idea um, that I'd be excited to, to write with, or maybe even co-write with like a director or something just because I don't have that much screenwriting experience. Um, and also I have like various television ideas. So I'm like beginning to dip my toe in that, in that world. So hopefully I will be able to do that as well. In addition yeah. to my theater stuff. Yeah. As we, as we all sit here uh, missing the live experience, what, 
what do you just what have you found for you is what's really important about the live experience why is theater the place that you sort of do your work um because it's a place where we can all sit together and and have and have a shared experience um i think that there's something equalizing about sitting in the darkness together and sharing a story that uh tests our empathy um, and at least that's the kind of work that I, I, I like the best and the kind of work that I endeavor to create. Um, and, 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 uh, that for me is like, what's missing, like just that we all can sit together and like take in a story and need it wherever we are. Yeah. Well, I look forward to sitting together with an audience, uh, to see a strange loop and white girl in danger and everything else you're working on uh, sometime soon. I hope, uh, yes. thanks very much, Michael. Thanks for chatting with me. Thank you so much. That was Michael R. Jackson, the Pulitzer Prize winning writer-composer of A Strange Loop. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe and find past episodes there and on all the other pod places, including Spotify and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.